We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Antonio Brown is now a Raider. Deshaun Jackson is back in Philly and Jacksonville plans to sign Nick Foles. We're talking all that and more on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz. This is Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by the FFPC. I'm joined tonight by Matthew Friedman, editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. And tonight we are mainly going to be running through a lot of news items. This might end up being a quicker episode, but I think the thing that we are all eagerly anticipating is getting Matt's reaction to the Antonio Brown to the Raiders move. We know that you were one of the, I really think probably the first person that was onto some red flags in Brown's production profile last season, Matt. You've been down on him, but two questions. From a fantasy perspective, does this raise or lower his value? And from an NFL perspective, do you think this was a good move for the Raiders? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't think it was a good move for the Raiders. Um, I think it was a weird move in that, uh, they are committing over $30 million guaranteed to a wide receiver who's 31 years old. Um, and even if you are assuming that he is 
going to be as good uh, for the next three years as he was for the previous five years, which I don't think uh, is a safe assumption. But even if you make that assumption, uh, I believe that this is a team that is not close to competing um, for a championship. I would say even competing to be like a final four, uh, final six uh, team left in the playoffs. Um, So if you aren't in that position, I think it doesn't make sense to add a guy uh, who might give you an extra win or an extra, you know, win and a half each year um, because you're hurting your record and you are committing money to an older guy when you could be committing money to younger players. Um, and for me, giving up the third rounder and the fifth rounder, like that doesn't really even factor in all that much to it, uh, but it does a little bit. But the big thing is just committing 30 million guaranteed and 50 million total for three years to a guy um, who, even if everything goes well, uh, will it will probably hurt your team in the long run because you're rebuilding. And uh, that's just all of that is almost beside the fact that there's almost no way that uh, he will earn what he's going to be paid. Uh, he's being paid as if he's the number one receiver now. And um, I would argue he's not a top five receiver. Uh, and increasingly he will be less and less of a top receiver uh, the deeper into this contract he gets. So um, yeah, I think not a great situation all the way around for the Raiders. Um, but I said, you know, I don't know. I understand doing it and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he is the type of guy who will be a top player for the next three years. But again, even if that's the case, I don't think it's going to be something that really helps the team anyway. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my, my perspective on it. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, especially if I'm a Raiders fan, I'm looking at some of the decisions that were made prior that felt money driven. And this feels very odd to me because like you said, I think it's hard to imagine that Brown can make more than a one, one and a half game type of impact where if you have a player like Khalil Mack on defense, um, you could definitely make a much stronger case for him changing, uh, the play of that team much more significantly. And then perhaps even if there was reasons to move off of Mac, you use this salary that's going into Brown to pick up maybe a cheaper player on defense that could make a change, or maybe one or two players on offense, bring in some stronger offensive linemen. I don't know too much about the team situation, but I do feel like there's things that they could do to fortify weaknesses that they have versus bringing in Brown. And the larger question is, They weren't really able to use Amari Cooper effectively for stretches of time. You know, he had one or two solid games, I believe, when he was in Oakland. And it does beg the question of Brown and Cooper aren't the same type of player, but they're both, as Cooper showed in his time in Dallas, very good receivers. So are your results really going to be that different? So, um, yeah, in my mind, I'm thinking that this feels more like a move, which is just to generate some excitement to kind of get some new faces in there and is more of almost like a marketing PR type of move versus an actual football move. Yeah, that's that's kind of the way I'm thinking about this. So a, a couple of things. Um, one is that uh, some sports books have released uh, performance props for Brown for 2019. Um, and they range anywhere from 95 to 105 receptions. Um 1100 receiving yards to 1250, which I think is a a pretty big spread there. Um, and nine touchdowns. 
Um, so if you just looked at that, um, and you said, okay, that gives us an approximation for what Antonio Brown is likely to do this year. That would be the worst season Antonio Brown has had since 2012. Um, Mm. and I don't think so one, I think those numbers are actually pretty realistic. Like I'm projecting around 90 to hundred receptions, uh, 1150 to 1250 receiving yards. And I'd say, actually, I'm going under on the touchdowns. I'm going for about seven or eight touchdowns with Antonio Brown. Um, but I think this is also going to be like the high point of what he does with the Raiders. So even if this season, um, isn't like that bad of a year, like that's not a bad year. Um, it's not a great year for Antonio Brown, but it's not a bad year in general. But if that is the best of what he does in Oakland, then this is a bad contract. Um, but like the second thing is, uh, and it's kind of like looking at it from the other perspective. If you add Antonio Brown and if the offensive line improves, like there were injuries to it last year, um, yep. you know, they have traded for an offensive lineman. Um, like there are things that they could do to improve the offensive line. If they are maybe able to draft, um, you know, a running back in the third or fourth round who plays as a lead back right away. Um, if they're able to use their first, you know, three picks, there are three first rounders on defensive players and all of those guys start right away. And, you know, two of them are kind of impact guys who really stand out. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe this is a team that goes from winning four games to winning eight games. Maybe they win nine games. And then all of a sudden this looks like, wow, such a brilliant move for them to sign Antonio Brown. Um, and maybe it is a really smart move. I just I'm I'm kind of skeptical about all of those things being able to happen. Well, this is kind of my my thinking on that. When you go through all that scenario, I don't feel like the jump to the eight games there is that largely tied to Brown. Right. Now, maybe I'm clouding my judgment because I'm, I'm anticipating what is Derek Carr going to be able to do with him. But Golden Tate is probably the best receiver available right now. L- let's ask you this question. What do you think that the difference is between Antonio Brown and Golden Tate right now? If If Antonio Brown makes maybe a one, one and a half game difference, do you think that Golden Tate maybe makes a half of that, bringing him to maybe like somewhere between, you know, a, a sixth or a seventh of a win. No, I think he's probably closer to half a win. Um, you know, thinking so that's it's that's an interesting way to think about it. Um, yeah. So thinking about it that way, and then also thinking about it just in terms of sort of like their inherent production of what you would expect. Like this year, if you had Golden Tate. And they're the same age, by the way. But if you had Golden Tate right. um, in Oakland, I would think that he would have uh, maybe 100, 150 fewer receiving yards and maybe one to two fewer touchdowns. Like, that's not a massive difference. Right. And I think Tate is going to via the nature of this group of free agents go for a pretty substantial price, but still though, the savings that you would have, but you know, in taking him instead of Brown could certainly be used elsewhere elsewhere. So it's an interesting way to kind of think through that from a fantasy perspective. Let's get into that now. Cause that's probably what our listeners are more concerned with. I would like to say that because there may be a dip in Brown's production, especially playing alongside Juju 
2019 in Pittsburgh that this move isn't going to impact him that much. However, it's hard to look past a couple of key things. One being that he's a wide receiver changing teams. Two, this is a team that I don't really feel like we can fully project what its identity is going to look like. There's the questions of playing with Derek Carr. And also, yes, Jared Cook is likely to be gone unless the team brings him back. You have Amari Cooper no longer with the team. This is a team that is looking for offensive players to establish themselves. However, Antonio Brown is used to seeing, you know, 170, 180 um, so targets. You know, over the last five seasons, he's averaged 171 targets. That's a volume that on a team that's not as successful as Pittsburgh is going to be hard to match. You factor in some drops for efficiency. You can't be expecting double-digit touchdowns, I don't think. And you are looking at somewhat of a drop-off. So, well, I think you can make a compelling case that Antonio Brown is a top-20 wide receiver. The reality is he is no longer a first-round type of pick. Yeah, absolutely. And you, yeah, I think you you hit it that um, the volume is something that has been so big to his production, uh, especially last year. Um, and the volume it, it works in in a couple of ways where um, there's just sort of like the the overall volume, like eleven targets per game, like in that neighborhood. Um, I don't think he's going to see that many targets now. I think it it like ten. I think would be. I don't want to say that's even like conservative, like on the high end, but like, I think 10 is a decent projection, 10 targets per game, but it could be less than that. And then the thing Mm -hmm. is, even if he is getting those 10 targets per game, um, not as many of them are going to come in the red zone um, because this isn't a team. So it's like the, the quality of the targets isn't going to be as good. So we should expect his touchdown rate, um, like touchdowns per target to decrease. Um, and here's one thing, uh, Gruden has, and this is going back kind of further in time. So, you know, like there's maybe some, uh, era adjusting that needs to go on, but, uh, Gruden, like when he's coached a team has never had a quarterback throw for 30 passing touchdowns, um, over the last like five teams he's had. So the 2018 Raiders and then the four Buccaneers teams before that, uh, not one of those teams had even 20 passing touchdowns. So like mm. how many passing touchdowns do you think this team is going to have? Derek Carr had 19 last year. Like 25 I, maybe. A jump to 25 is it would be big. Yeah. Like that's actually a pretty when you think of the percentage I mean that's very significant. So I think it's really hard to put this team over 26 passing touchdowns any reasonable type of projection. Yeah, so you, even if you say 25 26 then like okay, how many of those belong to Brown? Like Right. You know, 36% of the Steelers receiving touchdowns is what he's had over the last six years. Like, I think that's probably a fair market share projection of what he would have with the Raiders, but that gets him to nine touchdowns, you know, and and that's 25 touchdowns for the team. Like, I think that's pretty aggressive. Yeah, Yeah, that is. I mean, also consider this too. Brown saw 22 red zone targets last season. Jared Cook led the Raiders in red zone targets with 12. In 2018, I understand the situation's different, but getting back to what we're just talking about, you're going to have to see a massive increase in red zone targets for Brown to get anywhere near that number in Oakland. Um, 
So it's just not a situation that's conducive to him being the type of player we've seen. No, and the thing is, yeah, so it's yeah, it's a couple of things. Like they're um they're not going to get into the red zone as often, so there's not going to be the opportunities to feed him a league high total of red zone targets, which is what he had last year. And then um I think in part the Steelers were trying to prevent an Antonio Brown flip out, so they mm. were giving him more red zone targets. Like he was being outproduced like pretty obviously and substantially by Juju Smith-Schuster uh, in terms of receptions and receiving yards. And so I think to make up for that, like to help him save face, they were giving him extra opportunities in the end zone so that he could, um, so that he could have like more touchdowns, you know? And, th- and so at this yep. point, that is what everyone who is really on board with him, uh, like the, or I should say like a lot of casual fans are like, how can you say he sucked? He led the league in receiving touchdowns last year. It's like that is not a sticky uh, statistic that is going to have any predictive value in terms of what happens this year. So well, also, yeah. I mean, sorry, not, not to jump in there, too, but we can't understate how useful it probably is playing alongside Juju at this point in his career. And then you also have a team that had a very dynamic ground game. Hall of Fame quarterback, but I think really that piece of playing with Juju on the field too, we we can't understate how important that might have been. Yeah, exactly. And so people who were apologists for Brown last year were saying like, well, he he sees a lot of double teams. It's like, well, now he's a year older. <laughs> he's playing with a lesser quarterback in a lesser offense, um, maybe even with a lesser offensive mind running everything. And he doesn't have the other weapons around him. Like he's going to be double teamed even more now. So yeah. Anyway. Yep. So I, I think you and I are pretty aligned on that. I mean, this is the type of guy you're still going to be interested in drafting, but you do have to make a correction here for the fact that there are a lot of questions, Mark question marks here. And this is not the Antonio Brown we're used to. I'm um, just to jump in. I'm not going to be interested yep. in drafting. Him. <laughs> and, that's, and that's not me being uh, a, a total smart ass. Although it is a little bit, but like there is always going to be someone in a league that I am in who wants him before me, like who will be yeah, valuing very him as if he's the guy last year. And so like, I just, yep. I know I'm not going to get him in any leagues. Right. Which, which leaves me with the closing thing. And we've talked about this before. Remember in 2019, you're not drafting the 2018 version of Antonio Brown. You're not drafting the 2017 version of Antonio Brown. Even if you're thinking that the 2019 version of Antonio Brown is really solid, you have to make sure that where you're drafting him is adjusted for your league also downgrading him in 2019, which is probably not going to happen across the board because there's going to be a lot of talk about, oh, well, somebody has to pick up all of the all of the portions of this offense when we know Really, you're very rarely ever going to see a receiver go over 32% of the offense, and we'll get into the projection later. But um, real quickly, Matt, because I didn't have this on the sheet, I think that this unanimous, well, I guess I can't say unanimously, but in my mind, this surely pops Juju up into the top seven of wide receiver rankings. Yeah, I think so. Um, it wouldn't be surprising if Juju had more production this year. In fact, like I would, um, I would bet on it. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, over the next three years, which is like the life of Antonio's contract, Juju is almost certain to have more production. But yeah, even just uh, thinking of 2019, uh, he should he should be drafted ahead of Antonio Brown. Like, I don't I don't think there's a question about that. Right. 
Uh, quick reminder here that you can still get that 30% listener-only discount to a Rotoviz subscription through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. All kinds of exciting things coming out, so please do go check that out. Also, make sure to rate us on iTunes. Uh, please leave us a review, subscribe, all of those good things. We really appreciate it. So, Deshaun Jackson heading back to Philadelphia. Uh, at this point, there's a lot of tread on those tires. However, I think that um, you could make a case, perhaps, for playing in this Eagles offense uh, to be exciting. I- I'm not super pumped about this, but perhaps you are. Yeah, I mean, I, I like it from uh, a couple of different perspectives. I like it for the team in that uh, I think they get what they've been searching for for the last couple of seasons. Uh, they have wanted a field stretcher. Um, Torrey Smith wasn't able really to do it at a, a decent level. And then Mike Wallace was injured. Uh, Deshaun Jackson, I think is one of the best field stretchers in the league. Uh, you know, led the league last year with 18.9 yards per reception. Uh, and he exhibited very good chemistry with, um, Ryan Fitzpatrick, not as good of a connection with Jameis Winston. Um, I think if he's, um, I don't know. I trust Doug Peterson to be able to use him intelligently. Um, And let's see, he played only 12 games last year and he had 774 receiving yards for touchdowns uh, and then, you know, some additional rushing production. Like, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for him to get like 800, 850 receiving yards and like six touchdowns. Like that's, that's not horrible. Um, I don't know. Like I'm actually, I'm kind of intrigued by this, like as a, a supplementary weapon where he could have some production on his own. And then even if he doesn't, I think he will open up a lot for some of the other players on the team. Uh, and then just like an added, uh, an added weapon there for Carson Wentz. Okay. I, I think that premise is probably true, but if we bring this into a fantasy perspective, is he a wide receiver three or a wide receiver four? I think uh, he's, that's probably important to frame. Yeah, I think he's a really good um, wide receiver three or wide receiver four for best ball leagues. Like I think people are maybe even for regular leagues, like people are not going to want him because he's old, um, because he misses games each year, um, because he's a, a boom or bust type of producer. Um, but that doesn't really bother me. Like, I think that like boomer bust profile, like people put too much significance on it because like that gets smoothed out. Like generally speaking, uh, when you have other players around that guy, you know, if you have, uh, I don't know, let's say like nine, nine players in a starting lineup, if one of them is a boomer bust guy, like it doesn't really matter all that much to the overall production of, uh, of the unit. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Although the the one thing I'm going to take objection with here is I've always heard people refer to Deshaun Jackson as this boom or bust type of guy, but I would argue that he's so rarely booming that it's actually an inappropriate label. For example, and I haven't looked at the numbers, so I'm hoping this is holding true based off of last year. But uh, if we look at his PPR points, three, um, yeah, let me just make sure the right thing. All right. First two, all right, you probably got me this time. The first two games, 31, 22, then 6, 16, 12, 11, 16, 5, 11, 7, 8, 5, 3, 8. I mean, 
you can maybe make the case, but I'm not sure that that's really this boomer bust profile. I think he's normally just somewhere around 10 points. Uh, yeah. I mean, as we could study this a little bit more, but I'm like, I'm just going to disagree. <laughs> like, I think, um, are you looking at PPR points? You said, right? Yeah, I am looking at PPR points. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think in general, what we see out of him is that, um, okay. So he doesn't get whatever happens in a game with him. He normally doesn't get more than I would say like three or four receptions. Like he's not, okay. he's not a receiving I'll accept that premise. Yeah, he's, I'll accept that premise. The, the way that the production comes is boomer bust. Yeah, exactly. Like he's not a, okay. a receiving, um, like accumulator. So either he gets like three receptions for like 30 yards um, or he gets three receptions and one of them turns into a long touchdown. You know, like it's, that's the way that it, it comes with him. All right. I'll tell you what, we can move on from this, but I'm going to put this into a post at some point because he's, he's been one of my poster childs for my theory about this boomer bust uh, situation here. Okay. Okay. Um, Nick Foles to the Jaguars. Um, does this really change your perception of any of the offensive players on the team, some of those receivers that they have. And I guess the the second follow-up would be, is he going to be a viable starter in one quarterback leagues? Yeah. Uh, so no, like I wouldn't want him as a starter. Um, but if you, and part of that is just because I don't trust still the offensive system all that much. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess if you had to stream him, I think he will be a streamable guy, but I, I wouldn't count on him to be a top 12 quarterback, uh, in most weeks. Um, but I do think that this helps, um, DD Westbrook, uh, we'll kind of have to wait and see what happens with Marquise Lee. Like I'm not really all that interested in him ever. And then he's also returning from injury. Um, but, <laughs> uh, Westbrook is someone I'm really interested in. And, uh, I think Foles will be much better for him than Bortles was. Yeah, I think I'm in the same camp, more or less. It doesn't make a huge upgrade for any of the receivers, but um, I would expect that their production will see somewhat of a bump. I think Foles is the type of guy you can use here and there, but naturally going to the Jaguars doesn't really scream like, oh, you need to go after him. Um, So probably an exciting situation for Nick Foles, but uh, from a fantasy perspective, doesn't really shake things up too much. Before we take a quick break, Frank Gore signs with buffalo <laughs> there anything left in that tank uh man it it would not be surprising if he ended up out producing LaShawn mccoy like not that i'm really expecting that but like i kind of am a little bit like gore is just someone who doesn't seem to die like he's just somehow still playing LaShawn mccoy has really regressed the past two seasons like enough to the point where like i just i don't know if he should even be in the league at this point it wouldn't be surprising if Buffalo cut him. Like, I don't think that's mm. going to happen, but it might. Um, yeah. I mean, as a, you know, a cheap change of pace back, um, you know, someone who's like a steady veteran presence. Yeah. I think Frank Orr is fine. It's not as if I'm ever going to want to have him on any, uh, any team, but yeah, he's like a fine presence in Buffalo. <laughs> well, I'm just laughing here because I have been working on building out like a model that's looking at um, athleticism to match players just purely athletically. So I was like, oh, let me pull up Frank Gore and I can make a point here about, you know, how he probably 
didn't have the type of athleticism that prevented him from aging well. Uh, but then I remember that, you know, his combine performances would have been so long ago that they're not even in the database. Well, yeah. And I don't know if he even, um, I don't know what he did at the combine because I know he, uh, he probably did something, but he was coming off of an ACL injury, I think, or maybe he had injured his ACL earlier in college. So by the time he was entering the NFL, he was still seen as kind of like a, a lesser prospect than what he could have been if he hadn't torn his ACL. So, um, yeah, I don't know like how predictive his, uh, 40 time or any of his agility drills would have been anyway. Right. So actually I'm looking here. Um, Five nine two seventeen. The only drill he did was the forty, which was a four five eight. Which obviously we're not saying you could use that now, but this was just to kind of get a sense of what he was like coming into the league, and you know if you adjust for what he would have lost. I'm actually, um, yeah, actually, I guess if I thought about it, that's probably where I would have put him somewhere in that range. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, um, let's take a brief second to tell you about our good friends at the FFPC, the home of season long high stakes fantasy football. Well, it may be the offseason for most people, it definitely is not for our listeners or for the players over at the FFPC. If you're a diehard who's ready to draft now, the FFPC best ball leagues are already open for the 2019 season with drafts forming daily starting at just $35. Are you a fan of the dynasty format? Over the last few years, the FFPC has become the go-to destination for serious dynasty players. They now have almost 300 active dynasty league starting at $77 and even have a $5,000 entry dynasty and, uh, league. And the best Matt, part is not a single a, dynasty uh, league has folded in nine years. Limited orphan teams are available no. for purchase right now. Really? And brand new yeah. startup dynasty. I'm shocked by this because this is the first weekend the of the NCAA tournament, which is probably the greatest M-Y betting event of the year. So I would have thought that you would be in on this. I mean, so the thing is like, I just, I don't really follow college basketball as much as I should, or not even as much as I should, but just, I, you know, like that's not my area. So, um, I try not to bet when I don't feel as if I have an edge and like, there are other guys at action network who are really into it. And so sometimes I will just kind of study what it is that they write and what they bet. And then I'll just bet that. Um, but like, I, it, it, I, I don't know. So like, even though I'm doing that, it would feel like disingenuous to say like, oh yeah, I'm a big, like college basketball better. Cause I'm, I'm not. No, I, I hear you. I used to, um, follow college very closely but you know there's only so much time now you can dedicate but i'm still going to fill out the bracket um pick my national champion uh predict first round upsets and all of those things that make it fun so if you want to get in on the betting side of things my bookie is the perfect home for your march madness fun will zion williamson and his teammates cement their legacy at duke with a title can virginia get past its loss to a 16 seed last year and kentucky get back to the final four if you know the answers or even if you don't my bookie is the place to get in on the action they have something for everyone even if you're a multiple bracket guy uh, my bookie has been in business for years their goal is to give you the best customer service in the business and the best part is they pay out fast when you win i'm talking 48 hours bet with the best then kick back and enjoy march madness will you watch your picks cash deposit with my bookie today with promo code rotoviz for a 50 percent sign up bonus that's promo code rotoviz with my bookie you play you win you get paid 
This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 829 to 92 excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. I have always wanted to take the first two days of the tournament off of work. Um, but in order for me to do this, I feel like it should be a season where I really pay uh, extreme attention. <laughs> right. So like I, this probably is not going to come to fruition with, for another 16 years. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a nice dream. Uh, I, I might try to carve out some time to watch some games, but probably not. Yeah. Well, Anyways, th- you know, there's more exciting things happening right now in your world, like Jesse James going to the Lions. Of course. <laughs> I mean, w- w- what's there to say? I don't really um, think there's a whole lot to say here. I think if, if anybody wants to get excited about this, uh, don't. I mean, it's, it is something that is interesting in that, like, so we know it takes tight ends uh, sometimes a long time to develop. Uh, and James entered the league at 21 years old. Um, you know, was drafted with a fourth round, fifth round pick, fifth round pick. Um, but you know, I don't know, like the, the 21 years old thing, like that has been something that's always kind of stuck with me. Like age in the past has been pretty predictive of future success at the tight end position. And he hasn't been like a zero in the passing game. Um, he's been like, he's been competent. Uh, so I don't know. He's always been someone to where it's like I have in the back of my head stored like I need to start thinking about him in like year four, year five as someone who like potentially could break out if he sticks in the league. So I don't know. I mean, he's going to a team that uh, doesn't have a lot of receiving weapons at this point. Uh, Like Golden Tate is gone. So there are a whole bunch of targets that have been vacated. Um, There's no other tight end to compete with him. Uh, for snaps. So he's, I mean, he's the guy. Um, I think Marvin Jones could start to regress a little bit within that offense. Um, he's getting a little bit older. He wasn't really all that impressive last year. So maybe, you know, like maybe there's, there's an argument, I guess, <laughs> to be made. Um, but yeah, all of that said, like, he's still not someone I'm going to be all that interested in. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I would obviously, uh, they also added Danny Amendola uh, recently. That's right. That's right. So, uh, you know, that's probably a name to consider. Not that that makes a huge difference, um, perhaps in James situation, but it does show that there's some targets to go places. Interesting. Two things that I just saw, Matt, um, Devin Funches, the Colts take a one year flyer on him. And also Tyron Matthew signs with the chiefs, which is a pretty interesting signing. I think. 
Yeah, um, I think good signing for the Chiefs. Um, and who was the first one you uh, mentioned? Funches to the Colts. Funches to the Colts. Yes, I, you know. So I on the Action Network pod yesterday, I think I maybe even mentioned like, no, no, no. Okay, so I didn't, I didn't outright say I could see Funches going to the Colts, but I did say the person he reminds me of is Dante Moncrief, and um, <laughs> like I, I think that is really what they're going to be looking for from him. Like I think he's going to sort of be like the the Dante Moncrief like big bodied guy they're hoping can just sort of like be the athlete who wins some contested catches. Yep. Um, I think it's a, a pretty decent situation for him. And so like, if you have been um, like a, a Devin Funches truther to this point, like this is your moment, you know, like this is where you, you go all in and hope that you were right. And the good thing is you're probably still going to be able to get this guy really cheaply. Yes. Yeah. 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 You certainly are. Any of the mystique that he may have built up in that, that, uh, was it his first season in Carolina? Um, that is now gone. Yeah, uh, I mean, it was. Uh, yeah, he was in Carolina for four years. I mean, the good thing is he's still just like twenty five. Like he was really young when he entered the league. Um, he had that one year, I think, a couple of years ago, where he had like eight hundred receiving yards, eight touchdowns. When uh, Greg Olson was out, right, and, uh, and Cam Kelvin Newton, Benjamin was out too, I think. Yeah, and and Cam Newton was. It was the year they traded Kelvin Benjamin. And, uh, and Cam Newton was still relatively healthy. Like the, what happened last year was you had Cam Newton, uh, who couldn't really throw. And then the team had also drafted DJ Moore. And then they also had Curtis Samuel returning, uh, like to play Curtis Samuel really didn't do anything his rookie season. So you just had these other guys getting the ball, uh, Funches clearly being deprioritized within the offense and then Cam Newton not being really well enough to throw the ball, you know, more than five yards past the line of scrimmage. Yep. Um, a similar player in that I think people are probably still out there with truth or status on him. And that's Jamison Crowder. He's going to the jets to play along with Sam Darnold. How do you feel about that? Uh, I've never really been all that interested in Jamison Crowder, but, um, the one thing I will say is that, uh, Adam Gase, uh, you know, now the, uh, head coach with the Jets. Um, he has been someone who has uh, had pretty decent uh, slot receiver production in the past. Um, so maybe that's something to look forward to with Jamison Crowder, but I'm still not all that interested in him. He's just, he's the type of receiver who never really interests me because um, I think he has uh, such low upside. And I know like theoretically he has a high floor because of um what people are assuming will be uh, pretty like steady and solid targets in the middle of the field. But sometimes like with guys who don't have high upside, those targets you're expecting them to get, they just don't pan out. Yeah. I think for me, the big thing with Crowder is we've reached a point where there's been spots and I got fooled into thinking it was going to be his season last year, but we've just come far enough down the line where we really haven't seen things work out that it doesn't make sense to sink your picks into him, even if they're coming cheap. At this point, it's worth it to take a player that um, there's more upside on in the fact that they're still at that point in their career where a breakout is more likely. You know, it, yeah. it's very unlikely at this point that we're going to see him move to a team like the Jets and all of a sudden become a thing. Yeah, it's it's the thing I always like end up coming back to. Um, I don't see Jamison Crowder winning a league for me. Like at that draft range, mm -hmm. I would rather take a shot on a guy who might win a league for me. Um, you know, so anyway, that's just I, I tend to shoot for upside. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. So, uh, quicker episode tonight. So we're going to close out with this with th- this question for you, Matt. Le'Veon Bell looks like the possible teams for him are the 49ers, the Jets, and actually uh, the Raiders apparently are a yeah. sleeper kind of team out there. Which team do you want to see him go to? Um, I guess from a fantasy perspective, what would be the most interesting? Uh, fantasy, I would say 49ers. Um, but I just kind of don't see it. They just spent money in Jarek McKinnon. Um, they have other guys there. Like I just, I don't see them investing heavily in the running back position, but, um, if they actually were to, to sign him, uh, that would be pretty exciting. The idea of Le'Veon Bell, uh, in a Shanahan scheme, like that's interesting. Um, the jets, I'm not really all that excited about, but I kind of hope that is what happens because the alternative, uh, which is the Raiders, I really don't want because I have bet that, uh, Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell (laughs) will not be on the same team in 2019. All right. Uh, and, and now that bet is being threatened. So I can see uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think that with the 49ers, you're probably going to see from a fantasy perspective, the most exciting things getting done, because I do think that in comparison to the Jets, this is a team that has more of a likelihood of putting things together in this year, especially with Garoppolo coming back. Um, I do think, though, that to some extent with McKinnon and some of these other backs that they have, they can kind of make a hybrid bell, probably not as effective in any phases of the game, but they don't need to outlay any cash for that and i kind of would like to see not just that you lose this bet but it would be really intriguing to see what happens if you take two players of the profiles of bell and brown and put them into a new offense i think that we could kind of try to glean some interesting intel from that so i have a question how how smart i don't know that's probably the wrong word but what do you think of john gruden how savvy do i think john gruden is i mean is he is he the type of guy who can take this team um, and make it interesting, like even productive? You know, like is mm-hmm. do do we trust him to take Antonio Brown? Uh, and then let's say they they actually do get Le'Veon Bell to take that team. And then don't remember, uh, we have the remains of Jordy Nelson also there <laughs> pretending to be wide receiver um, <laughs> with Derek Carr. Like, do yeah. we have a coach in John Gruden who is actually able to make something out of that? I can see a John Gruden team in this situation winning eight type of games, maybe making things interesting, but not because he's savvy and not because at this point he's, you know, has any level of ingenuity or he's inventive. Um, I think he might have like enough of a base or a baseline yeah. to, to get to that point. But um, no, I don't think he's particularly savvy. I just don't think that at this point you're going to see him evolve the way that he needs to or do enough creative things. Perhaps I'm wrong. I think that some people like to think that with Gruden, there's this smartest guy in the room type of shtick or not shtick going on, like smartest, smartest guy in the room type of thing going on where he puts on this kind of other persona. Um, And people think that, you know, behind the scenes, he's this evil genius. I think that maybe he was a better coach in the beginning of his career, but we're so far um, removed from that point for him that I just can't really see him being able to take these pieces, reinvent them, reinvent this team and put it all together in a a hurry. Yeah. So I think if someone like um, Frank Reich were with the Raiders and they ended up having Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell, 
uh, and they still had Derek Carr as their quarterback, I would I would think, okay, this team actually might have a chance. If, like this offense could be good. Like it could be much better than people think. Um, I just don't know if I trust that with Gruden, you know, but like, I think it could be done. So then it's just a question of like, how accurate is my read on Gruden? Because like, for me, that will kind of impact, like if this Le'Veon Bell situation happens, like I just in general, it will kind of impact how it is that I, I view the potential of this offense. Right. I, I mean, I think the other thing to consider here too is how many or what percentage of coaches in the NFL are really that different from the rest of their peers? Yeah. Right. And if you look at it from that lens, it it makes it more unlikely to me that Gruden really is that different. Yeah, I think that's that's probably accurate. I think so. Yeah, he's probably just like league average. If you had to bet on one of these, would you say that he is above average or below average? If I had to bet. I think I yeah. would go below average. Yeah, I think I probably would too. But I, I mean, again, 15 years ago, I probably would have said it, said it differently. Yeah. Because I just think that it, it makes so much sense. And I don't really have, this is me kind of talking out of my ass, but based on observations I've seen of similar people in his roles, you reach a certain point where you've had enough success with something and it, you had it sustained for a while. And you have all of these philosophies and these truths that you've developed in your head that you just can't adapt in the way that you need to anymore to really be effective at your job, especially in something like the NFL that's ever evolving. Yeah. Um, A couple of thoughts here. Going back to Devin Funchess, um, I'm starting to be scared that this will kill Eric Ebron's red zone potential. I was questioning that. Yep. Yeah, so that's that's something to to keep in mind. Even but, if Funchess is like more of a specialty receiver, where he's right. just getting most of his action in in the red zone, um, that would seriously hurt Ebron. Now, I actually don't know. Is um Jack Doyle returning to the Colts, or is he a free yeah. agent? Do you know he is? Yeah, he's returning. That kind of feels like we're squeezing out some, you know, um, similar, or th- there's definitely some redundancy there now. So yeah, that that's that's interesting. Yeah. Um, and then I don't remember what else I was going to say. Probably not important. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> All right. Uh, one quick question to close off with you here in the non-football related question of the week. What is either it can be a show, a book, maybe a band, something that somebody had recommended to you one time that you were like, there's absolutely no way I'm going to like this. And then you ended up liking it. That's I should have I should have given you time to think about that one. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be able to come up with, um, actually, okay. Maybe like, uh, maybe Gilmore girls. <laughs> oh my God. That's actually what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Gilmore girls. That's I, I mean, I, I feel like there have been other shows yep. where I, like someone described it. And I was like, uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm really going to be interested in that, but, uh, Gilmore girls is one that, uh, my wife was into. And so I watched it with her and like, it's, it's one that we go back to. Yeah. That's actually literally the exact scenario that I had. Uh, cause I wasn't expecting it, but she was like, no, like it has really quick witty dialogue. They reference a lot of books. Like there's a lot of like, you know, jokes that if you don't have the information, you're not going to get, but that make it that make it interesting. Uh, wow, so that's nuts. I also yeah. like in it too how um, 
it's more real than other shows and that the characters, even though you're supposed to really like them, they're all flawed. And even Rory, who's supposed to be this great character, you actually, I think, are supposed to realize kind of sucks as things play out. Oh, she's the worst. Dude, she's awful. Yeah. yeah. Um. So we've reached an interesting point in this podcast now where we're talking about Gilmore Girls. But I think since we've both actually, like, I can't believe that that's actually the example that I was going to have because that was the first one that came to mind for me. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, um, I don't know what that says about this show, but uh, I don't know. Go. Out. It's uh, we're basically versions of each other. Yes. Well. Oh. Okay. Okay. So Amy Sherman Palladino, who was the writer of the show, uh, also started up on Netflix the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Have you watched that? No, it's on the list. Like I've heard that's great. Like we're uh, we're going to watch that at some point. I would actually push that up. Like it's it it's it's that it's that good. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we kind of wait, um, I don't know. We have like a weird pattern of watching shows where we want to wait till like the show is almost over. mm. So we don't have to wait between seasons, which is probably not best. Um, because then we're not watching the show and then the show gets canceled and it's like, yeah, maybe we should (laughs) have watched the show. Um, how much of an overlap is there between the things that you guys want to watch? If we remove sports from the equation, what are you guys at? Uh, like if it's a Venn diagram, what percentage is in the middle? We're both pretty easygoing. Yep. So, uh, there's a lot of overlap, you know? So like, I'm pretty much fine watching whatever she wants to watch. And, uh, if there's something I want to watch, like she'll normally go along with it, you know? So like, it's, we're, we're really like easy in that way. Yeah. I think I'm in a similar situation, except my wife isn't interested in, um, things like Vikings or Game of Thrones or anything like that. Um, and I think Uh, she she likes to watch a little bit more reality TV than I do, um, because she just thinks like it's funny and just likes to like watch the psychology of it, which like, it's okay sometimes, but I can't watch every season of Real Housewives. Yeah. Like I I don't watch stuff like that, but, uh, like Eden will sometimes have that on, uh, just like on her phone while she's like doing like menial task. Right. Uh, and then, uh, but yeah, like, uh, Eden is up for watching, uh, Game of Thrones and stuff like that. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's nice. Yep. It, it works out. Yep. Well, that's going to do it for today's episode. Once again, I'm Dave Cabin. You can follow me on Twitter at Dave Cabin FF. My co-host was Matthew Friedman, who you can follow at Matt F. The Oracle. This has been Rotoviz Radio. Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a review. Be sure to tune in next week. And remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. Thank you for listening to RotoViz Radio. Please rate, review, and contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at RotoViz Radio and support the pod by subscribing to RotoViz at a 30% discount through the listener homepage at rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion.
Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.